the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. And in the eyes of God, loved ones, listen, our worth is never measured by what we gain, but by what we lose. I want to say that again. In the eyes of God, our worth is never measured by what we gain, but by what we lose. It's central to the teachings of Jesus. The language of soul worship is sacrifice. What are we willing to give up in exchange for the life that Jesus said we could have? This sacrificial life is referred to by Jesus as that gold refined by fire. It's a tried and tested life that produces the kind of worship that penetrates heaven. There was a, a story in the Bible, and you're all familiar with this. The, moment, the, the, the last moments of Jesus before he was arrested, he was praying in Gethsemane, and here comes the soldiers coming in, and, and they wanted to arrest Jesus. And as soon as Peter saw one of these guys trying to get his hands on Jesus, Peter pulled out his sword and chopped up the ear of one of those guys. I think his name was Malchus. He was the high priest's uh, servant or something. And, and somebody, somebody once said that, uh, that uh, Peter was not aiming for the ear. He intended to cut the guy's head off, but he missed. As, as he did, missing a lot of the things that Jesus had taught him. And Jesus said these words after he saw that. By the way, he, he took the, the ear that was cut off and he put it back in and healed that man. Now, I don't know about you, okay? But if, if I was going to arrest Jesus and my ear got cut off, okay, and Jesus picked it up, put it back, and I was healed, I would believe. There, there's no doubt about it. Everybody who saw that should have believed, but it, it, it shows you, you know, the blindness that happens to people, okay, and more of that later. But this is what's interesting. Jesus said to Peter and those who were there, Do you know that I can command legions of angels to come and rescue me? Did you know that I have the power to do that? But in essence, Jesus was saying is this, I will never buy your salvation. I will never buy your redemption on the basis of a privilege. I'm going to secure it on the basis 
of sacrifice. That's how we got saved. Jesus went to the cross. The call to worship God is always the call to a sacrificial life. The Bible says the sorrow and the pain we experience here on earth does not compare to the awesome privilege of being in the presence of God. Pursuing God is rewarded by a deep, deep sense of hope and courage that the Spirit imparts the minute we are in the presence of God. And those of you who have experienced a suffering in the name of Jesus understand this truth. One minute in the presence of God covers a thousand heartaches, covers a multitude of sin, covers all anxieties and fear. That's the reward of being in the presence of Christ in the midst of sacrifice. There's a story that Chuck Colson, the late Chuck Colson, uh, told about how great a politician Richard Nixon really was. Uh, his job in the White House was an aide to the president, and his main uh, his responsibility is to defuse any kind of tension between the president and everybody else. Okay, There's this one time when a group of farmers... Uh, began complaining about this Republican bill that says they're really putting them, their businesses in jeopardy. Their, their, their products, they couldn't sell their products that well because this, this bill uh, uh, kind of prohibits them from doing certain things, the ability to sell their products. So they tried their local and state officials for help, uh, but to no avail. So they decided to go to Washington, D.C. and confront their representatives and their senators. And also to confront the agricultural, agricultural secretary about this matter. And so when they got to the, to the White House, they were met by Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson said to them, I'm sorry to tell you, but all your representatives and, and, and your senators are currently very busy. So while you're waiting for them, why don't I give you a tour of the White House? And so uh, the farmer says, okay, while we're waiting, let's, let's go ahead and have a tour of the White House. And he gave him a tour. And at the end of the tour, he said to them, okay, let's go to the office of the agricultural secretary to see if he's available to speak to you. And they went there, and Colson said to the farmers, uh, uh, they're still pretty busy, uh, so why don't we just go and find an office somewhere where you can wait until you're able to talk to these guys. And Colson then purposely took these farmers to a, to a hallway that will pass by the Oval Office. And as soon as he got to the Oval Office, he took a peek in and, and he looked at the farmers and he said, maybe I, could, maybe I could have you talk to the president for just a few minutes. And sure enough, as soon as they entered the Oval Office, Richard Nixon dropped everything he was doing, dismissed the people that were in his office, and began to spend quality time with these farmers. After that 10-minute meeting with the most powerful person in the world, those farmers did not want to talk to any of their representatives. Why? Because five minutes, 10 minutes with the most powerful man in the world diffused all of their anger and their anxiety. That's, that's, that's the kind of thing. It's not a perfect illustration, but that's the kind of thing 
that happens when we are in the presence of God. The Bible said no suffering we endure in the world will compare with the joy that awaits those who love Him. The sacrifices we make to pursue God will pay off because true spirituality will cost us and God honors our sacrifice of pursuit in the pursuit of His presence. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when people, in, blessed are you rather, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus was saying, hey, the people that are before you, that were before you, suffered the same thing. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. And it's going to be honored by God. Suffering may endure for the night, but joy always comes in the morning. When we get to heaven, we're never going to be rewarded on the basis of what we achieved, what we have earned, or what we have accomplished. We will be rewarded on the basis of what we have lost because of the sacrificial life we live in order to please God. Theologian Ian McLaren said, No flower will bloom in paradise if it was not transplanted from Gethsemane. I think that's a beautiful Beautiful word. There's a second thing that God wants us to buy from him, and that is, he said, buy of me white clothes so you can cover your shameful nakedness. These white clothes to wear represent the beauty of a sanctified life. The beauty of the sanctified life. Not just the blessedness, of the sacrificial life as represented by the gold refined by fire, but also the beauty of a sanctified life represented by the white clothes that Jesus says we ought to wear. This represents a life of sanctification. The Bible said that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You know, sometimes, you know why we get lukewarm? It's because, you know, we, we don't realize that we have... Uh, you were spiritually naked. We took off the clothing <laughs> that God has placed upon us, that clothing of righteousness. And let me explain a little bit. The Bible says that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. But that, that clothing, uh, sometimes, you know, it's not, a, it's not a good thing to wear. You know, we go under a lot of pressure. Uh, we feel ashamed sometimes of calling ourselves Christians because, uh, y- you know, it- it's-, it's not a popular thing sometimes. We get persecuted. Sometimes people don't look at us the same way. They don't look as- at us normally because, because of the fact that we-, we seem to be wearing a different fashion than they are wearing, okay? Uh, that's kind of a-, a-, a reason why some of us become lukewarm. We-, we try to put a little bit of the world's clothing on us rather than maintaining that clothing that God has provided for us. Now listen, have you ever looked at your, your old pictures, everybody? <laughs> have you ever looked at, at some of your old pictures? Don't you sometimes, you look at yourself back, back maybe in the 70s, those of you who are old enough. I'm talking about those of you who are old enough, okay, wherein you buy ice cream, they ask for ID, that old, okay? Uh, 
Have you looked at those pictures? Don't you just sometimes want to faint at how good you look? But have you ever checked out your wardrobe back in those pictures? They're shameful. You should be ashamed that you have worn those things. Right? But some of you still keep them. And you still wear them from time to time. And that's what I want to describe. You know, move on. God has given us a new wardrobe that enable us to pursue righteousness. The Holy Spirit is helping us through the sanctification process so that we can pursue it. Look at what Jesus said about another church in Revelation, the church of Sardis. He said, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. That's possible. If God has clothed us with righteousness, it's possible not to soil that clothing. They will walk with me, Jesus said, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot them out. I will never blot out their name, the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. You know, being clothed with our heavenly clothing doesn't just happen when we get to heaven. We oftentimes have this picture in our minds that when we get to heaven, that's when we're going to be clothed with white clothes. You know, have you ever seen paintings of that? All these Christians floating in heaven dressed in white. No, it's not speaking of a literal white clothing. It's speaking of righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus has clothed us with so that we can be sanctified in this life. And sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Okay, We're sanctified because we have been imputed the righteousness of Jesus, but we have to walk in that righteousness. We have to buy in to that righteousness. Okay? Uh, Righteousness has already been given to us. It's already been imputed to us. What we need to do is to pursue that righteousness. Sanctification does two things. Number one, it accomplishes unimputed guilt. God does not impute guilt on our sins. He covers our sin. That's again a picture of being clothed. The covering for our sins. The moment we confess and repent of our sin, we receive a covering. Instead of God imputing our sin against us, He doesn't do that. Instead, He imputes His righteousness. He positions us in a place in our life where we can, in fact, be free to pursue righteousness. You know, this was beautifully articulated by King David in Psalm 32. I know it's a long psalm, but I want to read it because it's beautiful, and I think it's the most important psalm as far as I'm concerned when it speaks about sanctification and it speaks about being imputed the righteousness and being and our guilt not being imputed on us. Listen to the words of David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. As in the heat of summer, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and brittle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. David went from being this person who confessed his sinfulness and God covering his sin to being trained and counseled by God. And at the end of the, the, the psalm, he calls them righteous and upright. That's exactly what happens Jesus says, I counsel you, buy from me white garments. We've already been made righteous. He's now calling us to pursue righteousness, to buy into that position. He means buy into that clothing. Buy and pursue that righteousness with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's no different from a coach of a sporting, of a, of a team. Okay, when a coach is hired uh, to coach a team, he brings with him his coaching philosophy, a cultural change. He brings an attitude. He brings a host of strategies. He brings game plans to win every game. If you're a member of that team, you have been given all of that. And all you have to do is to buy into the system of that coach. The same thing with all of these CEOs in these big companies. They come with a vision. They come with the expertise. They come with a game plan. They come with a strategy. They come with all the knowledge and experience needed. And all the employees have to do is to buy into that vision. And the same is true with our walk with God. Everything that heaven, heaven offers has been given to us. He gave us His Son. He gave us His Word. He gave us this Holy Spirit. He gave us, he gave us the church. All we need to do is to buy in to what God has already given us. And God says, wear the robe of righteousness. Wear that wardrobe. You may feel uncomfortable wearing it. But trust me, Jesus says, you'll be all right in it. Because to me, you look good. My sense of fashion, God says, may not be popular with the world. Your friends, your co-workers, even your own family may not like what you're wearing. But trust me, God says, you will not be put to shame when you wear them. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. He gives us a perspective of what the sanctified life is. He says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. The beauty of the sanctified life is this, is that it touches everybody. It touches both Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, but your sanctified life also touches those who do not believe. And that's why we need to pursue it. And that's why we need to put on that clothing every day. To be set apart means you're going to have to give up something. Some relationships, some pursuits, some dreams, some things and some people, some achievements that have defined your life. 
But God will replace them with something much better. A sense of deep hope. A sense of security and comfort that you are in His presence. Why? Because His loving eye will never leave us when we pursue Him. To worship Him. We have been positioned to be righteous already. We have been given this privilege of walking with Christ. And there's finally a third spiritual pursuit that God wants us to buy from Him. And that is, Jesus says, buy from me salve to put on your eyes. A salve is an is a eye medicine, an ointment that we put in our eyes if we're not able to see clearly. And, and, and the Bible says that, that Jesus said that you buy from me this ointment so you can have the right spiritual vision. Spiritual vision is crucial to our pursuit, in our pursuit of God. What is spiritual blindness? Now, I, you know, you can define this in, uh, in two ways. Spiritual blindness, for those who don't know Jesus, they're just blind. They just don't know who God is and they need to see the light. And the light is, of course, the witness of the gospel in their lives. But then spiritual blindness can also happen to followers of Jesus. Okay, spiritual blindness, uh, when it applies to the followers of Jesus, I would define it in this way. Uh, spiritual blindness is the inability to see what God has already done for us. Not seeing the change that God wants to make in our life. It's on our inability to examine ourselves, to see who we are, and what we're trying, and, and, and the things that God wants us to change in our life, to overcome the issues that dishonor Him. This is true for all of us as followers of Jesus. We need to be able to see clearly through the Word of God what Jesus has already done so we can escape this lukewarm lukewarmness so that we can, we can penetrate this wall that hits our lives time and time again. It's called spiritual vision. You know when you hit a wall, you can't see what's beyond the wall. And spiritually speaking, that means that there's something, something blocking. In this case, our, our, our spiritual vision has been blurred by all kinds of things. We, we look at external circumstances. We look at all kinds of things that's going on on the outside rather than looking at the inside to see whether we're growing in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this might shock you, but after you and I are born again, the rest of our life must be devoted to pursuing God. There's no other pursuit after we become God's children. So how does it work? How do I buy this eye salve so I can see clearly? Well, turn your Bibles to Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And I think uh, this kind of explains what spiritual blindness is. And, and it talks a little bit about what it means to have spiritual vision. Uh, li listen to what Peter says. He says, verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, 
and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So why are we spiritual blind? Because we look to the external things, to the outside, to build our faith. You know, even Christians, sadly, fall into this trap. We look at temporal things, tangible things. We are looking always at what's happening on the outside. And here's another thing that we need to stop doing. We need to stop looking at other people's spiritual qualities. Okay, we need to concentrate on our own first. Jesus says, pluck the, the speck on your own eye before you pluck the speck on your brother's eye. What does it mean? It means you have to take care of business on the inside first. And then you'll be able to redemptively help somebody else who's fallen all over the place spiritually. The measure of our spiritual effectiveness is measured by what God is doing on the inside, not on what's going on on the outside. What we should be asking ourselves this morning is, how much is my love for God growing? How much pursuit of God is part of my life? That's the only statistic that matters to God. Revivalist Jonathan Edwards once said, the moment God revealed to me the depth of my own sin, I stopped being suspicious of other people's sin. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, but not on what is unseen. But what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Lapson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. As a listener-supported ministry, they are grateful for your tax-deductible donations at livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.